Quickly, John chapter 5. On chapter 5. Did you hear about the man who wrote a letter to a small hotel in a Midwest town? He, uh, he was planning the vacation. He had a letter saying, I very would like to bring my dog with me. So that's like common, isn't it? All right. This is the day when, you know, you didn't do that all the time. He said, he's well-groomed, well-behaved. Would you be willing to permit me to keep him in my room with me at night? And an immediate reply came from the hotel owner who said, I've been operating this hotel and all that time I've never had a dog steal towels, bedclothes, silverware, or, or pictures off the walls. I've never had to evict a dog in the middle of the night for being drunk or disorderly. I've never had a dog run out on a hotel bill. Yes, indeed, your dog is welcome at my hotel. And if your dog will vouch for you, you're welcome to stay as well. The story, though cute, reveals something that kind of is very sad, actually. Sin has corrupted mankind so much that men need rules, they need laws, and they need punishment. And if they don't get it, man will utterly corrupt himself. You know, all you got to do is listen to evening news, and you know that to be the case. You don't have to have a hotel owner tell you that people are corrupt and, and steal things and are dishonest. God took the time in Exodus chapter 2 the way through chapter 34 and then in as well we read more in Leviticus and, and Numbers and Deuteronomy but God took time there to give what's known as the law and most of the time when we refer to the law we're referring to just Exodus chapter 20 uh, that's all that people talk about when they talk about the law primarily because people know that there are 10 commandments Quite honestly, there are some 400 commandments, if you really want to get technical about the matter. Uh, the 10 are separated, at least even in Scripture, where God talks about the commands that have been given. And Jesus Christ even said, you know, what are the, well, he was asked the question, what are the commands of the law? He put the 10 into two, right? Which would be, he said, to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength, and... Love thy neighbor as thyself. And so Jesus Christ made it rather simple. And in two, but that's not simple. Because in doing those two things, you are actually going to fulfill those ten. And quite frankly, you'll fulfill uh, a great majority of the other laws and rules that Jesus Christ gave and that God gave in the book of Exodus. And we are going to get back to them uh, in, in, uh, in just a little while. Uh, when I was looking back at messages in the past when preaching through the book of Exodus years ago, um, I had one message spanning Exodus 20 through 31. And uh, you say, well, well, why did you do that? Well, in part because of the truth that we spent a number of weeks addressing, that the Christian is no longer under the law. And quite frankly, it just seemed like there's just a long list of a bunch of do's and don'ts and things that the, the children of Israel needed to know. Um, but as I have been preparing and as we've spent now, what, three or four weeks in, our, in the middle of our study here in Exodus, and we kind of took a break. We didn't take a break, though. We looked at the Christian and the law and, uh, and the responsibility there. Um, 
I've started to go back to this Exodus chapter 20. Now I had to, actually had to do some work. No, truth is I very rarely ever pre preach the same message. In fact, I can't even remember the last time I did. But um, was going back and started to read through the law, starting in chapter 20 of Exodus. And we're going to do that in a little bit, maybe a little bit later. I don't know. We'll see if we're even going to get there by this evening. What? I'm scaring you, right? Okay. So, um, but... Uh, Anyway, we basically, I basically skipped over the rest because I didn't want to get into doing what I've often seen people do when they preach the Old Testament law. They kind of pick and choose things. In fact, that's what fundamentalists are criticized for so many times, that, well, you know, we, we use this little part of the law, and then uh, just a few verses later, uh, they'll, uh, new evangelicals love to make reference to uh, some other, you know, if you would say, we would think bizarre law, like you can't wear clothes that have anything, uh, that have mixed, um, uh, mixed threads. Yeah, that's right. So you can't have, uh, you couldn't have cotton and polyester. Um, so we'd be, all be in bad shape. And you say, what we need is that. I mean, all the different stuff in the materials. You're not supposed to use different ones, according to the to God. And uh, there are many other things like that that they love to reference. And so I didn't want to get into that, but I realized that the law has a value to us and not just from the standpoint of, of sinfulness. So here's what I'd like to do as we begin. In fact, um, I couldn't come to tonight and not have a less, uh, an outline as I did have one this morning for you. Um, but uh, I have, he's going he's gonna to get out to both sides real all right, now if someone can help out, that would be great. All right. Thank you, gentlemen, for your help this evening. We're not going to preach these chapters as Moses did. You understand that, right? Because when Moses came to the children of Israel, and he not only shared with them the Ten Commandments, but toward the end of uh, chapter 31, 32, 33, 34, 35, because there's actually some commands that come in between there. There's a few things that happen um, and take place. Moses, uh, yeah, it's, there's a lot going on in these chapters. But anyway, as uh, he does it, Moses comes and he says, this is what you're supposed to do. And the children of Israel were called upon to make a choice and a decision, and they did. You find many times, actually a number of times, it's referenced in the book of Exodus, that the children of Israel said, what the Lord has said to you, we will do. So I don't know if he read a part of it, and then, yeah, we'll do that. And then he read another part, yeah, we'll do that. There was this commitment that they made. And uh, aren't you glad we're not, not going to have to sit through these chapters and say, well, yeah, I'll do that, or yeah, I'll do that. But uh, may we learn from them. So we're not going to go in depth like that. We're not going to read it as if this is, these are the laws. But um, as I've been going through, uh, quite honestly, I have at least 10 lessons from the law so far. Uh, and we'll see if we get any more uh, as we study through. But let, let's begin with this. I want to give you a call to study the Old Testament. All right? I want you to see the call to study the Old Testament. And... Um, I think really this is a great companion passage to this morning. And here's the reason why. We talked about studying the Word of God. We talked about how to do it. And we gave you a number of different ways. And, um, and I hope that will be a help to you this next, this next week and in the days ahead. 
as you get into the Word of God yourself. And I would just say, in addition to what we shared this morning, there really are a number of different ways you can study the Word of God. And we didn't even, we, we kind of just touched the, the tip of the iceberg and just gave you a few different ways and ideas for study of the Word. But what I find in this first point in this call to study the Old Testament is that I was greatly challenged as I was reading through when we were doing the study over the last few weeks about this matter, about how God actually in the New Testament tells us how to study the Old. And so if you would, um, I, I'd encourage you to take these questions and as you're reading the Old Testament, that's what I was going to tell you tonight, as you're reading the Old Testament, use these questions as a guide as you read it through and ask yourself, what do I learn about these things? And I have you in John 5, and we referenced actually some of these verses this morning. But in John chapter 5, and in verse 39, we read something. God tells, God was speaking to the Pharisees, I know, but what did he say? Someone read that verse for me. The religious world didn't accept Jesus Christ as the Son of God, as, as one with the Father. But look, rather than find out the facts, go to the Word of God and find out the facts, they just, in, if you said, according to their own, uh, own decision, because it was going to take away their authority and because Jesus was, quite frankly, showing them up in so many different ways, not because he was trying to do that, but because he taught people the truth and the people just flocked to him to hear this man speak the truth of God. The scribes and, and, and Pharisees didn't speak like Jesus spoke. And so they were just amazed at that and they loved to hear Jesus speak. And many times he rebuked the Pharisees and, and, and scribes and the, and the Sadducees. And so, um, you know, that for, the, for the common class in that day, that, I mean, they respected those people, but they had issues with them as well. They were looked down upon by the Pharisees and scribes. And so Jesus in his ministry, as he did that which was right and taught the truth, was very popular. They didn't like it, and they rejected it. So Jesus challenges them here, and he says, look, you won't believe on me, but the scriptures talk of me. So what he shares, actually, in John 5, 39, is a great way to study the Old Testament. And the way to study the Old Testament is to do it, well, what are we supposed to do? It says, they are they, at the end of the verse. Okay, so here's the first question to ask in this call to study the Old Testament. Is there any testimony of Jesus? Is there any testimony of Jesus in the passage that I'm reading? Now, when you get to Isaiah, when you get to the book of Daniel, second half, uh, when you get to even into the book of Ezekiel, uh, Isaiah quite a bit, you're going to find you're going to find places where it speaks of Jesus. Uh, David in a number of the Psalms considered messianic Psalms. Uh, many of the chapters in the Old Testament in the in the Psalms deal with Jesus Christ and talk about him and share things about him. Uh, many of the minor prophets made reference to the day when Jesus will rule and reign, but they also made references to. to a virgin, well, Isaiah did this, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Uh, I think it's Micah who said it would be in Bethlehem where the Messiah was born. And numerous different places throughout the Old Testament, you'll see a testimony of Jesus Christ. 
And so as I read scripture, in fact, that's a challenge to even as we look at the law. We're going to see some things about the tabernacle. The tabernacle, the sacrifices with the children of Israel. We're not going to dig deeply into them, although I've heard people do serious studies in the tabernacle. You know, the way the tabernacle was laid out really does picture the, the Jesus Christ, and it pictures the, what he was going to do. It, it truly is. The Holy of Holies, just the way everything was laid out, gives us a wonderful picture of a coming Messiah. Uh, so the tabernacle and the temple, uh, those things in the Old Testament, there are so many places. The Passover. I mean, there are, we, in the book of Exodus, you're going to find a number of things that reference and talk about Jesus Christ. So when you read, ask yourself this question, do I learn anything about Jesus? Is there any testimony of Jesus Christ I find in the Old Testament? So look for a testimony of Jesus. Romans chapter 15. I almost didn't mention this one because I've mentioned it 8,000, 8 million times in the times that I've preached. I, I don't know if it was 8,000 or 8 million or probably more like, you know, 30 or so. But in Romans chapter 15, uh, we are told in the, the first portion, actually in verse 3, for even Christ pleased not himself, talking about how we're supposed to live life. And then verse 4 goes on and says, for whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Second question, what do I learn that gives me hope? What do I learn that gives me hope? The Old Testament is there for my learning. This is what Paul wrote the believers at Rome. So I'm not to ignore it, but read it to find people who acted in patience and saw God work. You have heard of the patience of John. Uh, we can go through and we can talk about the um, patience of various Christians, but especially Job, without a doubt. Someone who gives us a great lesson in patience and saw God work, and that gives us hope. Uh, we can look at David and God's promises to David and how God, even though it took years, if you would, but God fulfilled his promises to David. You're going to stand on the throne. You're going to be the king of Israel and how God then worked and brought him through that. So what do I learn that gives me hope? We're going to learn about patience. We're going to find comfort in the Old Testament. Um, you, wow, you can't help but read the Psalms and find comfort, can you? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. So when I read, I ask that question, what do I learn that gives me hope? Um, now turn, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Okay, both of these were referencing Old Testament, weren't they? So we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul now is dealing with the church at Corinth. Church at Corinth has a problem with sin, don't they? And so what he does at the beginning of the chapter is he starts to talk about the children of Israel. And all the children of Israel had the blessing of God in so many ways. They passed through the cloud. There are so many ways in which God worked in their midst. But then he said in that passage, God, with, with some of them, God was not pleased. And if you look in verse, uh, uh, verse uh, let's say, I'm, uh, we're going through the list, but I'm, look at verse 11. Now all these things happen unto them. For what reason? Examples. Now, was that the only reason God did it? Oh, well, certainly not. But it says in there, written for what? Our admonition. Okay, I can look at the Old Testament, then, and I can find a lot of things that are going to be written for my 
admonition, specifically in this passage, the children of Israel and how they did not please God and how God judged them and many of them lost their lives. And there's a powerful message about living right before God. So the third question to ask yourself, letter C, what admonition do I find to keep me from sin and temptation? And that's exactly what he addresses right after that. He says, if you think you stand, take heed lest you fall. Children of Israel had the benefit of God's presence, and they still blew it. You, you, you think about this. Every day, they could go out, and, they, could, and they, could, they would see a cloud during the day, and at night, they would see a pillar of fire. Every day, 40 years, they knew the presence of God, and they still blew it in the wilderness over and over. And so, we have great lesson, and there's a great uh, a, a great. Uh, advantage to looking at the Bible the Old Testament that way. What admonition do I find to keep me from sin and temptation? I love verse 13 because this is still referencing them and say there's no temptation taking you but such as is common to man. You don't have to live under the control of sin as a Christian any longer and the Old Testament teaches you that. There's a way of escape. There were people, there were children, many of the children of Israel did survive. And they did live, and they did serve God, but many didn't. And they are serve as a lesson, as admonition, to keep me from sin and temptation. All right? Uh, well, now you'll love this one because we already looked at it. In fact, I'm not even going to have you turn there. 2 Timothy chapter 3, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Now you say, well, wait a second. These other had references to the Old Testament. Well, the reference to the Old Testament in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 is, thank you very much, all, that's all you got to know, all. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. All of it's breathed out by God. You don't think the Old Testament was breathed out by God? Uh, Peter wrote these words, holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost in reference to Old Testament. So, my friends, when we come then to the Old Testament, we can ask ourselves the same questions uh, that, uh, that we find in the same things that are found in First, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. It's profitable for, is there doctrine? Is there reproof? Is there correction? Is there instruction in righteousness? Go to the Old Testament and look at it that way and ask yourself those questions. Now, I can't go to the law and say, this is what you're commanded to do. What I can do is go to the law and say, is there some teaching here that the New Testament supports and tells me I'm supposed to do that maybe God elaborates on or God clarifies what he means? So here's, what I, here's how I put it, and, and this is great. This will test your spelling, all right? What elaboration on or clarification of New Testament instruction do I find? That's how we look at the Old Testament. What elaboration on or clarification of New Testament instruction do I find? Um, I got to tell you that we would not have the thieving, the stealing going on in America if we just followed the Old Testament law in dealing with thieves. Um, and in fact, just reading through that the other day, uh, I, I'm probably going to get it confused because it is rather detailed how God explains it. But God says, if a man steals something and he is caught with that item, if he steals sheep and he's caught with those sheep, 
he's supposed to return to. If he steals something and he eats it, if it happened to be a sheep, if it was a you know hammer, he shouldn't eat it. All right, just think that one through a little bit. Uh, but if he would if he would destroy it, or if it would be gone, or if he would sell it, whatever might be the case, then it restores fourfold. So then God deals with thieves by helping them understand, hey, look, there is a cost to what you're doing. So if you're caught and you actually have, then you restore two. If you sell it and you um, you take it, get uh, you eat it, whatever it might be the case, then you will restore fourfold. And if you're not able, here's what God said, then you're sold. Slavery. Is slavery wrong? Ah! Let's not go it up. I'll find out. Do you know how, oh, wow. See, I'm opening a can of worms. Actually, we're going to see some things in the law about that. So that's coming. That's coming soon. Coming to, coming to you soon. So here's the thing. We can look at the Old Testament and we can find clarification and sometimes elaboration on different issues and different matters that God gives answers to about how you deal with or how you handle situations. And the Old Testament law is great for that. Uh, what happens if something breaks that I've borrowed? If I hire someone, um, if I hire someone to come and till my garden, thankfully I got a father-in-law who takes care of that, but if I hire someone to come and, and till my garden and something happens, what responsibility do I have? Yeah, it's amazing. Honestly, the law actually deals with a lot of very practical things, and we can learn from it. Now, we don't take the law in our own hands and practice Old Testament law by stoning adulterers or Sabbath breakers or witches or someone who curses their parents. And we don't go to the Old Testament law, and we don't say, this is our law. But we do go to it and find clarification on what God shares in the New Testament. And we learn things. And quite frankly, if we did follow them, we would probably be better off. So the Old Testament law does not supersede New Testament instruction. And as well, it doesn't negate any New Testament instruction. But we can learn from it. Do you, do you get that? Because all scripture is beneficial to help make us mature. All right. Number five, the fifth question to ask is found in 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. The New Testament instruction for studying the Old Testament. 1 Peter chapter 1. God says, as obedient children, in verse 14, sorry, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, by the way, where is it written? Old Testament, be ye holy, for I am holy. God told the children of Israel a number of times, be holy, because I am holy. That was their instruction in the Old Testament. Amazing thing, New Testament. Peter says, be holy as God is holy. That's how the, what the scriptures say in the Old Testament. We're still supposed to do that. All right? That's, uh, that, so there are things, by the way, that we are supposed to do that are found in, in the law and in the, in the prophets. 
So, um, so we come to this passage and we say, well, what is what is we learn? Well, it's it's a sin not to be holy. We're to strive to be holy as God is holy. And he references the Old Testament, which called on the Israelites to live that holy life. Now, without a doubt, the Old Testament writers had a grasp of God's holiness. I got to tell you, you, you read through you read through the uh, major and minor prophets starting, uh, you know, after through Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, you get into Isaiah and on through the rest of the Old Testament and you'll see prophet after prophet get up and say, thus saith the Lord. And they talk about a number of things about who God is, that God is the almighty God, that God hates sin, that God despises the actions that they have done that are displeasing to him, and that God is a holy God. And there's a, a tremendous picture of that. So then when I come to it, I says, what do I learn about holiness? I come to the Old Testament. What do I learn about holiness? The holiness of God, which then should transfer into my life, right? Because if I see God as holy in this way, that God hates this sin. If I see in Leviticus that God hates homosexuality, and by the way, that doesn't negate because the New Testament tells me in Romans chapter 1, God hates homosexuality. So if I see in Leviticus that God hates homosexuality, it tells me something about the holiness of God, right? You understand that? So I can come, and the Old Testament law is going to teach me in many ways, as well as the prophets. They're going to teach me, this is what a holy God thinks. This is what a holy God does. This is what a holy God thinks of your actions, Old Testament saints. But there's application in many ways to our lives. So I come to the Bible asking that question. What do I learn about holiness? To the Old Testament especially. Second Peter gives us the last uh, thing. It's number six, right? Or the letter F, as is the case in your outline. But if you look in uh, this, this uh, passage, and it's a little bit different. Some might say, well, it, we could have tied it with the last point. Fair enough. But if you look at Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 2, we learn grace and peace be multiplied unto you. How is grace and peace going to be multiplied unto believers today? Look at the verse. Through the knowledge of God. So as I get to know God, I am going to experience, if you would, grace and peace in my life. And it's going to be multiplied in my life. Becoming godly in action requires that I gain a knowledge of God. Do you remember what Paul said his goal was in Philippians 3? He's, well, after, afterwards he said, forgetting those things which are behind. We actually referenced that and looked at that yesterday. We talked about, uh, you know, to the guys about just seizing the day. Here we go again. But in the verses before that, Paul said that I may know him. That his focus and his desire, his goal was, I want to know, I want to know Jesus Christ in a very intimate and a very precious way. Um, Peter here says, you, I want you to know grace and peace, and here's how it's going to come as you know him. So both Peter and Paul, sounds like a singing group, both Peter and Paul uh, tell us that, um, <laughs> tell us that it's important for us to know Jesus Christ. There are many other places we're challenged about that as well. Um, so here's the, here's the question asked. What knowledge does it give me about God? What knowledge does it give me about God? 
As I read the Old Testament, I'm going to gain a clear understanding about how God thinks, what God desires, who God is. The law may not help me in individual actions in, in life, but it tells me there's a God in heaven, and we're going to look at a couple things in, in just a moment in regard to that. So um, here's what I want to encourage you to do. And I, I, this is, really is. You've got six questions, and you can go to the Old Testament and begin reading it and use those six. In fact, I've been trying to do that as I go through, as I've been reading through these uh, 10 chapters or 11 chapters or so as God deals with the law. And I, I found it to be helpful because it, it does point out some things and reminds me of some things and uh, we'll be able to make reference to some of those. Now look, some passages are, aren't going to answer all the questions. Some, are, are, some might just have one. Some might have two or some might even have three or four of the questions answered. So we understand that we're not going to get it in, in, in every area. But look, you read through the Kings, you read through First uh, and Second Samuel and the, and the Kings and Chronicles, and you read about the kings of Israel, and um, you're going to learn some things that will be uh, of help to your life um, in keeping from sin. You learn from David's example, don't you? And there's a lot of admonitions about moral purity and about um, about right ju about justice and decisions. So many things that we can learn from from the Kings. Uh, we can learn from Daniel and Job or Ruth. I'm going to discover truths that will teach me patience and subsequently give me hope when I do that which is right. Got the three Hebrew children. What a great lesson to be learned. And by the way, that's why, that's why we take, and how many Old Testament passages are the focus of, of Sunday school classes with teachers with young children? Because those lessons, David and Goliath teach us precious truths that admonish and as well just tell us about God's character, how God works. There's so many things to be gleaned and learned in the Old Testament. So go to it. And look, now, again, you're not going to find in, in these things every question answered, but you will find some of those things. The Psalms will give comfort and hope. The prophets will learn about God's holiness. Throughout the Old Testament, I'm going to see Jesus. So I look at it and ask myself those questions. So we're going to come to the law, not looking for rules. We're going to ask these questions, and we're going to seek to get some answers and share with you some of the truths, the things we can glean biblically from the Old Testament. A plan for Bible reading in life should be to look, to learn, to live. James 1. So that's what we're going to seek to do, and these six questions will help you in doing that very thing as it's helped me. Now, that was all introduction. Turn to Exodus 21. <laughs> Man, is it going to be a long night. I don't mean to scare you. I'm, I don't mean to scare you. Exodus chapter 21. Um, okay, so I determined after, after all these things and, and sharing those things that, that really honestly help, help us come to grips with things, I started in chapter 21. Now these are the judgments with shouts of shouts shalt set before them. Try to say that ten times fast. If thou buy an Hebrew servant six years, he shall serve, and in the seventh he shall go out free for nothing. If he come in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he were married, then his wife shall go out with him. 
If his master have given him a wife, and she have borne him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters, and he shall go out by himself. And if the servant shall plainly say, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free, then his master shall bring him unto the judges. He shall also bring him to the door or unto the doorposts, and his master shall bore his heir through with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. And I got to verse 6, I got all the way to verse 11, I said, oh my. Thank you very much for the law. I mean, you got to be kidding. My mind was screaming, slavery, what a great way to start. Um, and then my first, my thought was, I'm going to have to skip this part and move on. Maybe it'll get better. Verse 12. He that smiteth man so that he die shall surely, surely be put to death. And if a man lie not in wait, but God deliver him into his hand, then I will appoint thee a place whither he shall flee. But if a man come presumptuously upon his neighbor to slay him with guile, thou shalt take him from mine altar that he may die. And he that smiteth his father or his mother shall be, surely be put to death. And I said, oh my. Thank <laughs> you very much. Uh, you got to be kidding me. Slavery, capital punishment. <clears throat> what do we do with these things? And there are more sides. Uh, follow that by verse 17, which says, Cursing parents, uh, surely it means that they shall surely be put to death. How am I going to teach practical truth from the Bible out of the law if these things are against current laws or repudiated by even Christian Christian? It was at this point I was reminded our goal is not to preach these as commands, but to glean from them New Testament Christian truths in using those questions. All of the law gives us a powerful truth that began to emerge. So the second point is the corruption of sin evidenced in the Old Testament. If I were to sum up chapter, actually chapter 20 included, but chapter 21 and on through chapter 34. And again, I say there was, there was some back and forth or some things going on there. But if I were to sum those chapters up and say, is there an overall lesson? I would say this, that the corruption of sin is evidenced in the Old Testament. And, and what I mean by that is the children of Israel were doing some bad things. And they needed instruction to know how to deal with the, those people. Um, children that weren't obeying their parents. It was bad. Uh, there, there were situations where um, people were killing people. I mean, that goes back to what Cain and Abel, doesn't it? So what do we do and how do we handle those things? And, and what do we learn? And, and as I... As I again was, the first 11 verses really were kind of like the, the balloon just went, you know. But the more I, I thought this through, the, real, the more I realized, okay, an overall lesson is this. The law tells us a number of things. First, that there is right and wrong. Just write that down. The corruption of sin is evidence. The law tells us there is right and, law, and wrong. The law says sin exists. There is a standard of decency. Even in the practice of slavery, servitude. Um, and by the way, it does beg the question. I just asked it a little while ago. 
Is slavery always wrong? <gasps> yes! That's what we hear from Christians all over. So here's my challenge to you this week. I want you to go through the New Testament and see if God condemns slavery all the time. New Testament is for Christians. So look at it and figure it out. That's your challenge for this week. What does God say about slavery? Not what we think. Not what the politicians are saying in Washington. Not what, not what everyone is saying because they want to pay reparations to people that didn't have, that their parents and grandparents or great-grandparents and great-great-great-grandparents weren't, weren't slaves anyway. They want to pay reparations to. Uh, what does God say about it? Were things that went on in America wrong? Were, was everyone corrupt at the beginning of America? That's, that's by the way, what historians, uh, historical records as far as the schools are concerned are telling people about all our, our, our country's founders. They were all just wicked people and slaves, and not all of them did. A lot of them didn't. And not all of them bought people and sold people. Did they justify wrongdoing? Yes. Was there sin in many cases? Yes. But not all of it was. So there you go. You got a New Testament study. Challenge you to come back next week with an answer. What does God think about slavery? There's answers in the Old Testament law too. But the New Testament gives us a lot of instruction. Anyone intrigued by that? If not, you're going to hear it anyway. But the law tells us, look, there's right and wrong. There's good and evil. The law tells us, or the law deals with the sinful tendency in all humans to mistreat one another. That's what the law does. The law deals with the sinful tendency in all humans to mistreat one another whether it's a law punishing adulterers or commanding the punishment of rebellious children or reparations a thief must make, the law reminds us humor, humans do inhumane things. As you read through the law, it's, it's like uh, some of the things you, you are, are practical, you say, wow, that makes a lot of sense, and God had a lot of wisdom. Other things you look at and say, could someone actually do that to someone else? Could someone act that way? Could there actually be incest in families? God deals with those things. And he tells us that all people have sinful tendencies and it leads them to be treat people in inhumane ways. Do you know that the law really does in some way explain how we ended up with, with Hitlers in this world. Mentioned that in Sunday school today. Why there have been evil, wicked dictators like Nebuchadnezzar who killed people because they wouldn't bow down to an idol. Hello? Anyone have a problem with that? So the law just deals with that sinful tendency in all humans to mistreat one another read something this week. Albert Einstein, interesting, watched his homeland give in to Adolf Hitler's dictatorship. 
Einstein wondered if any were going to stand up and oppose Hitler. And here's what he said. This is a quote. When Hitlerism came to Germany, I expected the universities to oppose it. Instead, they embraced it. I hoped for the press to denounce it, but instead they propagated its teachings. One by one, the leaders and institutions which should have opposed the Nazi philosophy bowed meekly to its authority. Still his words. Only one institution met it with vigorous opposition, and that was the Christian church. Einstein confessed his words again. That which I once despised, I now love with a passion I cannot describe. And what changed his mind was the commitment of the church, when no one else would, to stand against the evil of what was going on, and it made a profound impression upon him. Sadly, not all churches stood against it. Some actually supported that evil. But the law, written thousands of years before, deals with these atrocities because mankind has a sin nature prone to do that which is evil. And the law reminds us of that. And that is an important lesson to learn from the law. And it should influence our lives today. Look, it shouldn't surprise us when governments like the Chinese government practice genocide or go to war with one another, taking countless lives. <clears throat> Russia. Um, we all also be ready to stand up and defy evil no matter what the cost. Um, by the way, the sinful tendency of men is something we got to understand, and we don't have to understand, but we have to grasp this true. And we need to learn to practice Matthew 7, 12. Therefore, all things whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do you so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Number three, the law reminds us men are abominable and do terrible things. And here's the point you say, well, we just got done saying that. But here's the, the idea, if they're not stopped. And you know what the law it gives us? over and over how to stop it here's the evil here's what you do here's the wickedness here's how you handle it here's the activity that's sinful here's what you do the law is in many ways just practical it reminds us men are abominable they will do terrible things and they have to be stopped they have to be stopped Something has to be done. You say, well, do you really, do you really uh, uh, support the idea of stoning an adulterer? Uh, 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 wow, we choke on that one, don't we? We're not saying that all the laws and the things that were written, because they're not for the New Testament Christians. And it's not for us to take the justice. And remember, we can't make it supersede what's taught in the New Testament. Because God does talk about life. God does talk about capital punishment as well. But what we can do is understand that, look, there's got to be a punishment that fits the crime that causes people to stop doing evil. Because men are inherently evil. And we can't sit back 
Our justice system is a mess today. It is a total mess today. And part of the reason why is because we stopped punishing evil to stop evil. We just try to reform someone rather than saying, you need judgment. And you need to be punished for evil. And um, I, I know that, that we can get far off and we don't want to go off this subject that we're dealing with here. But the law teaches us that. The, remind, the law reminds us, number four, letter D, that God does not condone evil, but rather despises evil of all kinds, no matter what it is. God doesn't condone evil, but rather despises evil of all kinds. And then I'll give you the last, the last letter E under, under Roman number two. I'm not going to give you the last point. The law teaches us that all sin is not equal. So the law teaches us a lot about sin. And if you just read it from that standpoint, and if you went through those 10 chapters, you'd find a lot of valuable things for life. Just getting that, that overall glimpse of the Old Testament law, powerful lessons in, in a holy God, judgment of sin, what men need to, to, uh, to stop doing that which is wrong and evil, what man is inherently able to do because he has a, a wicked, vile sin nature. We're utterly corrupt. We are utterly corrupt except for the grace of God. And uh, that's not popular preaching today, but it's true. And a lot could be said about the subject of sin. But these 11 chapters give us important truth about sin. We must not forget for our own sake, and I tell you, for the sake of humanity. Our, our country is quick going to, is, is fast going to this Everyone did that which was right in their own eyes. And, um, and a Christian's got to have a different perspective. And you're going to have to, you're going to have to fill your mind with truth. Because it's going to be bombarded. It is almost daily bombarded in the news by false teaching. And the law gives us some great lessons about that. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you.